Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Future Projection Podcast. This is episode 19. I'm Carlos Colazzo, joined, as always, by Ben Badler, who is somewhere in Florida, I believe, at this point as we record. I think uh, our first travel podcast, so we'll see how this goes. What's up, Ben? Yeah, in Miami right now, spent uh, some quite a bit of time in Fort Myers seeing the perfect game. First, their sophomore WWBA and, and then their underclass WWBA that just wrapped up today. So a lot, a lot of players for 2023, 2024 draft classes in there. Obviously, Jupiter is is coming up pretty soon. So that's the big one. That's a lot of 22s, 23s, 24s in there too. And then uh, drove across the state to Miami. There's the minority baseball prospects is putting together their uh, an all-star game for uh, for underclassmen and upperclassmen. I mean, I got to double check the roster, but I'm pretty sure it's Tamar Johnson and Drew Jones. And I think Elijah Green is there and, um, you know, Trey Phelps and, um, Antonio Anderson, some, some of the top underclass guys in the country. So, uh, I know a lot of scouts are, are going to be at that one too. Yeah. A lot of WWBA action going on at this point, like you said, Jupiter, uh, as we record this on Monday evening, Jupiter kicks off later this week, goes from Thursday through next Monday. I'll be there. Teddy Cahill will be there as well. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that event later in the podcast, but just a few things that I wanted to hit on before we kind of get into maybe a meter conversation about Jupiter and about the WWBA and what kind of event that is and just the, the amount of players that you see at that event. Um, a few newsy items, maybe the the first and foremost is that uh, Bobby Wood Jr., we named our minor league baseball player of the year officially today. Um, and there's a full story on his season, kind of what the Royals have with Bobby Witt as a, as a player and as a talent moving forward on the website today. So you can read that. I'm excited. That's finally out there. I feel like we've been talking about Bobby Witt Jr. A lot on this podcast. He had a pretty excellent season and it was really fun for me to get a chance to talk with him and to talk with some of the coaches and managers who have worked with him this year, just about what he brings to the table. And I think at this point, just kind of given my history with covering Bobby Witt Jr., he's got to be the most talented prospect that I've seen in person kind of throughout the whole process and is living up to it. I guess, I mean, him and Adley Rutschman, we have neck and neck, but for me, he's the most exciting prospect that I've covered in my time here and just continues to kind of live up to uh, the expectations that people have set on him. So that was cool to see. What was the feedback that you got on him as far as, I mean, I remember seeing him playing in high school too. And, and obviously he, he, he was such a talented player at that time, a ton of tools, um, you know, a chance to, to stick it at shortstop, hit, hit for power, athleticism, obviously, a, or, or no surprise, I should say a, a high baseball IQ, um, you know, coming from a, a baseball family. What was some of the feedback you got on him this year compared to like when he was in high school or just generally 
yeah, what, it's, what people are saying about him this year. I think what, what comes up most when you talk about Bobby, especially when you're talking with, with people within the organization who have worked with him, is it's really just makeup and work ethic and character comments that you get. I mean, the tools are very explosive, but I, I think it's a testament to what he does off the field and in the clubhouse and in the dugout. And when he's not involved directly in, in baseball plays, how he's able to help his teammates out, all of that, like he gets ringing endorsements for all of that off the field stuff and, and his desire to learn and grow and, and take in information and make himself a better player, uh, get to work in the off season in the weight room. Um, I, I looked for areas that he struggled in or had difficulty this year and I specifically remember asking Bobby like what what was a challenge that you had to overcome this year that maybe didn't come super easy to you he was like did you see my numbers this year (laughs) (laughs) well exactly I was like was it was there a defense anything defensive was it adjusting to pitching as you moved up the levels uh was it base running and he he said no everything was pretty pretty easy for him the hardest thing was finding somewhere good to eat on the road in minor league <laughs> baseball so i mean that's pretty telling about just how simple he makes the game and i mean like you said his, his numbers kind of tell you the story he 33 home runs 29 stolen bases 35 doubles 290 I mean, he made it seem like playing third base came naturally to him. He made it seem like the defensive game didn't speed up on him. I asked him about the difference in double A and triple A pitching, and he kind of broke down. He said that the the triple A pitching, you didn't see as much velocity with the starters, uh, but the pitchers seemed to have a much better idea of how how to pitch him, and they would pitch backwards more frequently than the double A arms that he saw. But, I mean, he hit better in triple A. Um, by some metrics than he did in double A. So it's not like there's a real drop off in his performance. Um, but yeah, what really just kept jumping out to me was how much people rave about the makeup and the character and the work ethic that he brings to the table. So I'm as convinced that Bobby Witt is going to make the most of all his talent as, as any player in baseball right now. And that's probably a biased take considering I just talked to a bunch of people within the organization that are very high in him, but I mean, it's been true in all of my experiences with Bobby personally as well. And I've never really heard anyone say anything that wasn't kind of in line with that um, prior to him being in Kansas City. So uh, excited for him, excited to see him at the big league level. Uh, I'm sure Royals fans are as well. Uh, but I also know we talk about Bobby with Jr. a lot in this podcast. I don't want to exhaust you guys if you're tired of hearing about him. But that was a fun story for me to write. Yeah, it, uh, do, do you see him... Do you see him coming up at shortstop or, or do you see him moving off the position? What do you, what do you see from him you know, defensively? I, personally, I think he can handle shortstop. I think it, a lot of it will just depend on team need. What What's the biggest area that the Royals will need him to slot in? What will make their team uh, the best? I think he's, he's the sort of person who would move all over the field. I mean, he told me he would play any position on the diamond uh, if, if they needed him to. I think he could play shortstop second third I think he has the the ability to play outfield as well he certainly has the athleticism he's not played that much so I don't expect that to happen but I mean he's played third base and shortstop um, primarily or exclusively in the minor leagues with the bulk of that coming at shortstop and I think he's got all the tools to be not only an average major league shortstop but a well above average one Um, that's kind of the similar feedback that I got from from those within the system I know 
uh, Kyle and some other people have talked to scouts outside of the system who've kind of seen his body develop physically and think that he might wind up being better at third base or, or at least a more natural fit for third base than shortstop. I was a little surprised to hear that. Um, but I guess there is, there is that sentiment out there um, from opposing scouts or scouts outside of the organization who think third might be a better fit for him. I don't see any, any, anything that he doesn't do that would prevent him from playing shortstop. I guess I would say, I think he has the, the foot speed, the range, the hands, the arm strength, the athleticism. Uh, I just feel like he would have to really regress a lot in, in one or more of those categories for me to have a lack of confidence in him sticking at shortstop, I guess I would say. Yeah. It just, the bodies are just like a thickening lower half. I don't even like, think so. So yeah. I, I think he's just kind of filling out naturally. And I mean, he looks good physically in my mind. Yeah. He is a lot bigger than he was in high school, but he was also like a leaner, a little bit lanky, never super lanky in high school. Cause he still had some pop and some strength then, but I think he's just filled out and is getting into his man strength. Now um, it's very clear that he's worked hard in the off season to, to add that muscle uh, and get to that power. And, and maybe that is one of the things in, in terms of like a game, adjustment that he's seen this year is he, he said he can hit balls out of the park now that that he doesn't hit um he doesn't connect with fully or our mistake pitches that he just has the strength now to drive the ball out when he doesn't necessarily think he could have done that a couple of years ago so that's one area of his game that's adjusted since the last time i talked to him that's um, not bad i remember him hitting balls off the batter's eye in center mm -hmm. field when he was in high school so yeah and then when he was in high school too he almost hit the ball out of the entire stadium at wrigley so it's not like that power has never been been here i think it just comes a lot easier to him now than it used to in game and if we look at the 33 home runs i mean it's pretty clear so all right so you've changed your mind you you're you're a fan of bobby wood jr now yeah i've changed my mind i'm really good. <laughs> doing a 180 and i'm gonna say i do i do believe in him fully um, but that's nothing new. Uh, you can check out the full feature for a lot of really exciting uh, commentary from from his coaches and from some of the the scouts who have evaluated him for the Royals. That was fun to uh, work through. But another piece of news that maybe is relevant for our conversation today is that with the regular season being completed, I guess most baseball podcasts would be fully pivoting to playoff talk, breaking down who the favorites were, what they're excited for, maybe some regular season awards. But for us, uh, the first thing that we think about, or at least that I think about when the regular season ends is the 2022 or whatever the next season's draft order is going to be. And for the second time in four years, the Baltimore Orioles have the number one overall pick. Thanks to the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, securing the number two pick with a walk-off solo homer to beat the Rockies in their final regular season game. Um, one of those rare wins to uh, move your draft position down uh, that I don't know if, if fans of the D-backs, if they're excited that you end the season on a high note, a walk-off win is always fun. But if, if that specific walk-off home run moves you from the first pick of the draft to the second, I can see you having mixed feelings. If you're a fan of a team, Ben, are you excited about that walk-off homer, or would you rather have just uh, tried to lose the game? I'm pissed. <laughs> I would be pissed. Who cares if you win 52 games or 51 games? Yeah, <laughs> I, I think the number is definitely irrelevant. It's more of like a symbolic, oh, we can head off into the offseason on a bit of a high note after a pretty bad year. 
but I think I'm yeah, with you. except you lose access to, <laughs> you know, draft bonus pool money. So if, if you want to spread it around like the Pirates did this year or access to the best player, which you still might get because the mm-hmm. Orioles, I mean, they obviously didn't do it with Adley Rushman, but their MO is mm-hmm. not, uh, you know, they've, they've cut under slot deals mm-hmm. um, before. So it's, it's not like, um, and the other thing, like it's also not like there's an Adley Rushman out there yeah. right now. I was going to make that point, and I think that's a good one to make because kind of when I was looking through some of these teams who are picking at the top, the the Orioles, the last four drafts, they have been um, among the top five picks. And each of those picks, um, they've taken a college position player, a college hitter. In um, two of those drafts, they took significant hand uh, – they took significant underslot players with Heston Kerstad and with Colton Kowser this past year. Adley Rutschman, that wasn't the case. But I also think, first of all, Adley Rutschman, that was the number one overall pick. They they were in a draft class where they had an obvious one-on-one player to take. Um, and, and with this class, with them picking one, there is, there is no player of Rutschman's caliber. I mean, at this point in the 2019 draft class, all the scouts that I talked to, they were all pretty pretty clear about Adley Rushman being the top player in the class. And this was the same class that Bobby Wood Jr. was in, who was one of the better high school shortstop prospects that we'd seen in a long time. So I think it's it's worth emphasizing how how clearly Adley Rushman was at the top of his class, even the summer before his his draft eligible season. And this year, we don't have that player. I don't think we have a clear-cut top player in either class at this point, high school or college. But Maybe for for Baltimore, it is nice that the college hitting group is better than last year, or at least it seems to be better at this point. But yeah, any other thoughts on just Baltimore's position and how the class is looking at this point, Ben? Yeah, I mean, there, I, I agree. There, there isn't a clear number one pick right now, but there certainly could be come, well, what I assume will be July <laughs> as, as the date for the draft next year. Um you know, it, that could end up, I mean, if, if Elijah Green or Termar Johnson just go bonkers for between now and, and the draft date, it could be, it could very much be that one of those guys is, is the obvious number one guy. But I mean, still for the Diamondbacks, like I said, I would much rather have the number one overall pick and 51 wins. <laughs> Then, then the number two pick and fifty-two mm-hmm. wins—it's pretty meaningless. But there's—you're you're still going to get a very, very good talent, obviously, with a second pick. You just can't dictate mm-hmm. the draft board like you would when you're, you know, when, when you're in the driver's seat of the draft. Yeah, the Diamondbacks have actually done a pretty good job picking, or at least the the players who they have selected when they picked among the top three picks have turned out to be pretty good players. Um, I think I'm just pulling it up right now on our draft database, which if you don't know about our draft database, it's a resource I use constantly. You can check up draft histories and scouting reports for every team's draft class really since, since we started writing about these players, but I'm just pulling up there. So they've picked among the top three picks three times in their organization's history. Um, in 2005, they had the number one overall pick. They took Justin Upton. Um, that one panned out pretty well. 2011, they had the number three overall pick. They took Trevor Bauer. Again, turned out pretty well. 
and Dansby Swanson in 2015 with the number one overall pick. So all three of the players that they've taken top three in their organization's history have panned out. Now, none of them have produced most of their major league value with the Diamondbacks. So maybe that's something they want to change moving forward. Uh, but it is a pretty good hit rate, although I guess you'd expect in the top three picks, uh, especially with a couple of really good draft classes at the top in 2011, uh, 2005, and I guess really 2015 as well. Um, a pretty good track record for them. One, one thing that kind of jumped out to me, and, and maybe everyone was expecting this, and we've talked about it previously, but the Mets are going to be in a pretty good spot here in 2022. They have... Not only do they have the number 11 pick that comes from not signing Kumar Rocker, their compensation pick, but they're picking 14 as well for their their normal pick based on um, their finish in the regular season. So the last few years, every team with multiple picks, especially teams with with compensation picks in the first round, you, you have a lot of pool money to throw around. Just the fact that you're picking multiple times in the top 15 gives you access to some of the best talent in the class. Um, I'm really excited to see how they're going to use that money. But again, anytime you have a team with multiple picks up top, they're definitely a team to watch. Um, so I'm excited to see what they're able to do. Um, and then Houston, they'll be picking in the first round for the first time in two years. Their penalties are up for their sign stealing scandal. Um, and they have the number 28 overall pick. So Astros fans who have missed out on mock drafts the past few years, you are you're back in the game. And these are, this is still subject, obviously, we should say, to the mm-hmm. draft r- remaining in this format. In yeah, subject to a few things, I think. There's, um, depending on, like, free agent acquisitions, you could lose picks, um, depending on qualifying offers. And again, like you said, the entire CBA, things could change. So the CBA runs out in December. We, are, we don't know what kind of CBA we're operating under. Um, and I, I'm assuming the 2022 draft is going to be impacted by that in some capacity. I really don't know how aggressive they would get in changing the draft order um, since it was really set this season. But I guess, yeah, like you said, all of this is, is kind of preliminary and, and could change depending on what happens with the CBA. Um, Do you like that the draft is based on reverse order of winning percentage from the previous year and and just obviously stacking up the worst teams in baseball with the top picks and i think (laughs) we could probably get into details and get into the weeds with this but i think i like i like the idea of it better than i like a draft lottery but i also think there are a lot of incentives that clearly teams are buying into that that kind of create a tanking situation in the game that I think is, is not good for baseball overall. Um, But I do think that in general, the worst teams in baseball probably should be picking at the top. The best teams in baseball should be picking at the back of the draft. Like if we're going to be in a draft, if we're going to have a draft format to get players into pro ball, if it's not just a free agent system where you sign whoever you want, I think that that makes sense. I think there are a few options to prevent tanking that maybe would be good additions to the draft system. Like JJ's tank tax, I think is really good. If you finish, if you finish below a hundred loss, or if you have more than a hundred losses for multiple seasons in a row or 
X amount of seasons in a certain period, I would be open to maybe switching it up a little so you don't consistently reward terrible teams. But I do think that the, the general theory of it makes sense to me where you stand with it. I'm, I'm not crazy about it. I, I'm not, I, I get, I get the system, but like you said, it, it leads to this tanking incentive, which I don't think the Orioles are wrong for doing there. <laughs> it's, it's a great way to amass a significant amount of high end potential impact talent for your organization it's like who, who i mean they could go spend money on free agents to go from what 52 wins to win 20 more games and be a, a 72 win team i mean that it doesn't do a lot for them so i mean mlb at one point when they were talking about this was a at least a few years ago now i think but they, when they were talking about the implementing international draft, which I, I still think will happen in the next CBA. But one of the ideas they had was the draft order would not be based on reverse order of, of winning percentage from the previous year. So you wouldn't have the Orioles getting the number one pick in the draft in, in the domestic draft and the number one overall pick in the international draft and giving them two number one, overall picks so it would it would rotate by division so one year i think it would be like the al east would would get the you know the top picks in the draft and it would mm -hmm. rotate by division i don't know that i love that idea either but 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 some type of and, and i don't i don't have the answer myself but mm -hmm. some type of system that disincentivizes perennial tanking mm -hmm. i i would be all in favor of yeah that's that's honestly why and i'll have to pull up the details of jj's tank tax idea that's why there there have been a lot of ideas that have been thrown out to fix the draft or to disincentivize tanking and i really feel like jj's is the best i'll link to it in our show notes so people can go read it if they haven't but just the idea that if you finish poorly one year you'll get a high pick but if you consistently are down in the bottom like baltimore has been the last four or five years i think it's four years um you you don't continue to just reap the benefits of being bad i think that's the most elegant solution that's also as like it doesn't interfere with the process as much as some of these other ideas because I, I really don't know how i feel about a draft lottery like especially if it's an nba if it's like modeled after what the NBA does, where you just have a higher percentage of getting a better pick, the worse you are, at least in the NBA, that still seems to incentivize tanking. And it would seem like a, a pretty poor solution to what we're trying to figure out. But I've, I've heard from some people on Twitter that say, you know, the, the bottom 20 teams or all the non-playoff teams are just randomly assigned every year. So you're really incentivized to make the playoffs because if you don't, whether you're the 30th team in baseball or you're the 11th team in baseball, if we're still in a, a postseason format with 10 teams, um, you, your odds of having the top pick are the same. So maybe that would incentivize people to actually try uh, to be as good as they could be every single year at the major league level. At the same time, I do think there is, I do think that 
having the worst teams in baseball, if they're generally the worst teams in baseball, having them pick at the top is, is a good way to allow them to get talent. If, if again, if we're in a draft scenario, we're, we're not getting rid of the draft. So basically we're trying to figure out the best possible format for the draft. What do we want to incentivize? And, and I don't know, I don't, I don't think I have, the answer to it, I would like to see something different, but there are a lot of ideas that I really just don't like as well. And I, I don't like the NBA draft lottery system. What, what, if, what do you what think if we about went... lottery? Uh... The only lotteries yeah. that I've seen are just, you, you, you still have the incentives to tank. If it's not truly just randomized, and I don't know that having the draft be truly randomized is good either. Yeah, you would. You, the, the incentive would still be to because what in in the NBA draft is it the worst team still gets the highest probability of getting the first. Yeah. Pick? So even if yeah. they're not so, picking up top, they're still generally picking within the first few picks if they don't yeah. if they miss out on number one. I mean, what what if we just reverse the whole thing? And why not incentivize teams that make good decisions and incentivize the, winning? The teams in the small markets so, will complain. <laughs> That's why. I mean, it, the they will say that I don't. They I don't think the Orioles. Agents. I don't think the Orioles and and the Nationals are short on money that they can. I don't think they are either. Spend. I just know that's exactly what the small market teams will say. They'll just they'll cry poor and say the rich teams sign away all their homegrown stars, so they need a way but to remain. The Rays will. The Rays will have the third pick in the draft. Yeah. Or or you could or you could set it up the the other way where, or, or a different way where you could say, all right, if, if you don't make the playoffs, the, the team with the best record gets the first pick. I like that one too. I think that's so, a pretty good solution. So your so your incentive, I, I just want to incentivize teams to try yeah. more. Like this the, is the why the, this is why the premier league in English soccer, the relegation system is so awesome. There's incentives all along the spectrum to win. We would never yeah, have that in American soccer. sports. Okay, do you do you know how the system works though? <laughs> so essentially, very cursory knowledge. Essentially, think of think of the Premier League in England as MLB, and there are there are levels below the Premier League. So it would be like minor leagues, except these leagues aren't affiliated at all with the top leagues. So AAA, AAA basically West. has nothing to do. Yeah, AAA basically has nothing to do with the MLB teams. They're their own clubs, their own pro clubs, and every year the bottom three teams in the premier league are relegated to the championship. And I don't know why it's called the championship, but it's the lower level league and the top three teams from the championship are promoted to the English premier league. And, and obviously the teams get much more, um, much more money, much more eyeball, many more eyeballs when they're in the premier league. So everyone's trying to work their way up to the premier league and all of the worst teams in the premier league are trying to win as much as they can once they're there to stay there. Um, and then you have table, you have teams in the middle of the table in the Premier League that are trying to be competitive. And then you have the teams that are always at the top. And this is why it's not really similar at all to how we have in America. But the teams at the top are generally always at the top. There's like a cluster of six teams that always spend the most. They're kind of the big market clubs there. Um, and I think American sports would never go for it, but it, at least in the sense of incentivizing people to win, it's a very good system because whether you're the worst team in the league or the best team in the league, you're trying as much as you can to win games every single year. So it would be interesting to see Durham become a uh, major league team when they dominate AAA like they do every year 
And then who, who do we have finished that? So Baltimore would get relegated to minor leagues. I mean, it would be awesome. I would love it. It will never happen. I don't think, uh, <laughs> I don't know if the Durham Bulls owners have the financial might to, uh, to put a competitive team on the, on the field. Yeah. The, the systems are just too entirely different to ever make a real comparison or a real argument for doing it. But um, but getting back to your your point, you're saying all the non-playoff teams, the playoff the playoff teams would have the last ten picks, and then the others would be determined by best record. So if I you mean that would be one way. Team, that would just be one. Pick. Yeah, that would just be one possibility. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I want to incentivize winning and reward teams for making mm-hmm. good decisions, and I I, I want. You know, I want the Orioles and the Pirates and the Rangers to go into the season trying to win mm-hmm. more games. I mean, I, I understand why they do it now, the way they're they're doing it, and not really trying to win. I'm, I'm sure you know. Look, the players are out there trying to win on the field, but cl- clearly the front office is not putting a team out there with the idea that we're going to be competitive in 2021. Yeah, That's just not what they were doing. Not at all. Well, I guess do you have any um, people have asked me what I think will happen to the draft in the CBA, and I really have no clue. I don't think it's at all a, a primary concern for the league or the players at this point. I think there are a lot of things they're going to have to get hammered out before they get to draft details. And I don't anticipate the amateur draft system changing too much from what we've we've just seen the past few years. Um, so I really haven't put too much thought into it. I'm kind of just curious to see when we're going to have some some clear answers for the CBA and, and whether or not the draft is impacted too much. But do you have any predictions for that? I know you've talked about how you think an inter- international draft is definitely coming soon. Um, I guess when's the soonest you think it could be here? Uh, I could, I, I, I don't, I mean, they in theory could put it in place in 2022, but mm-hmm. I would think more realistically 2023 because, and, and in part, and, and they could change all of this too, but right now the international signing period for the quote unquote 2021 class, which would be July 2nd, 2021, but is delayed until January 15th, 2022. So that signing period runs through December 15th, 2022. So then you could have a draft in, you know, early 2023 or, or whenever MLB wants to put the international drafts on the calendar, March, August, you know, whenever they want. Um, Or they could come in and say, all right, now the signing period is, you know, only open until August 1st 2022 and we're gonna have a draft on august 15th 2022 so it it could come as soon as next year but i i i don't think that's what's gonna happen i i would i think most likely if there is a draft in place in the next cba we'd Mm -hmm. be looking at 2023 okay good deal all right do you want to uh get into some jupiter talk yeah yeah you're coming down to jupiter yeah this is um i guess for those who don't know what jupiter is it is probably the biggest tournament of the year biggest travel ball tournament of the year it's perfect games 
WWBA World Championship. So it's World Wood Bat Association. So the format is basically, I think this year it's 100 total teams. Um, in all, all the teams are thrown into pools of four. So there are three days of pool play games, and then you go into bracket play, single elimination. Um, I think it's a round of 32 is what it goes into. And basically, teams are playing from, in some cases, Wednesday afternoon exhibition games. But from Thursday until next Monday, there will be games played all day long at 14 different fields um, in Jupiter, Florida, at the Roger Dean um, stadium and the park surrounding. So it's basically the Cardinals and the Marlins spring training complex, which has at least it has two clovers full of fields and then several other fields surrounding. Um, and it's hundreds of scouts riding around in golf carts, trying to scout up all of these players, um, a ton of FOMO of what you're missing out on, because like I said, games are going on from 8 a.m. till I think last the last time slot is 7.20 p.m. on the Marlins complex, uh, because the Cardinals, I think it's just day games. Um, so we've got lights on the Marlins side of the complex, but basically this is the biggest travel ball tournament of the year. And it is the, just in terms of the scouts, the players, the teams who are all in one event, it's easily the biggest event of the year that I go to. And I, I can't imagine there's an event that, that tops it. So this is kind of the, it, it's almost a, it's almost like a scout. It's like the ABCA for scouts is what it feels like when you're there, but scouts are actively working and trying to do their job at the same time. So that's kind of what we're going into. Ben, have you ever been to Jupiter? I have. Yeah. It's uh it's a lot. I mean, I was just at the the underclass one that they did, which is a little bit different because it's spread out. Like they had it at the Red Sox and Twins and mm-hmm. and their their backfields and, and a couple other complexes. So you have to actually drive around in a, a real car, not a golf cart, to get to some of these <laughs> places. But yeah, it's it's the same thing. It's it's games from from eight a.m. and then hopefully no weather delays, but Oh, there will be. It's Florida. You're in Florida. So (laughs) um, yeah, rain, lightning in the area delays, even though Mm -hmm. it's sunny where you are, but there was lightning (laughs) 9.2 miles away. So they have to, you know, pull everybody off the field. So yeah, yeah, Jupiter specifically, I don't think we've had too many issues with lightning in Jupiter that I can remember since I've been doing it, but rain is always, a constant and very real threat. Yeah, I think it's more of the I think it's the county in Fort Myers is real strict about their their lightning rules and, and delays. But but yeah, the yeah, like you said, the games go from eight in the morning and go till late at night. And that's why teams bring in a, a ton of scouts there because the only crazy people who stay there for every game are people like like uh like us. <laughs> Yeah, so today, basically, for several hours today, I was putting together just the rosters of every team, like highlighting priority players, secondary tier priority players, third tier priority players, 2022, 2023, and 2024 notable prospects, because while it is primarily an event for for the current year's class, there are a ton of, of really impressive underclass players who will be at this event playing up for their squads, um, throwing together the schedule, 
right now I have just the schedules down for, for all of these teams. And I basically go day by day and try to sketch together a plan, um, knowing that when I get to the field, depending on what's going on what's happening, the games that are taking place and, and the pitching matchups, um, all of that can change immediately. So I think right now I have eight games that I have marked down that I would like to see on Thursday. So it's from 8 a.m. to 7.40 p.m. Um, and we've got a ton of really loaded squads here. We can talk about some of the players and some of the better teams um, if you want to. But, yeah, it's going to be a long week, but also the most – probably the most bang for your buck in terms of baseball action – per minute that you're going to get at an amateur event. I guess maybe, no, this is, this has got to be the one. I mean, there, there are so many fields, there's so many players, there's so many teams. It can be overwhelming. And I think it took me several years to really just get used to the fact that you're going to miss a lot of baseball because you don't have 20 of your <laughs> 20 copies of yourself to go around and watch every single game. So It'll be fun. Yeah, that is that is the the one thing where you're you're just constantly thinking, well, what's going on at the other fields? Or <laughs> even, you know, you're at one quad. Like, do, do you try to set up so you can bounce around to see multiple games at once? Or or do you like to just just go to once you're at a game, you just sit there and focus on on that game i prefer to do the latter because i feel like i'm more locked in and i feel like if if i'm bouncing around i will be seeing what's happening but i don't feel as locked in if i know i'm bouncing around from a few fields uh especially if i'm trying to see a pitcher it's a little bit easier with hitters um to bounce around if you're just looking at at bats and maybe there are a couple of really good hitters on fields that are right beside each other so you can kind of just be keeping an eye on each field and, and making sure you're locked in when your specific hitters are up. Um, I always find that, that I have just better notes and, and am able to take in the game better if I'm locked in on one game and don't have to worry about other stuff. But at this event, it's, it's almost impossible to do that for an entire game unless you just have like the premier matchup with two of the better squads. And, and there are so many players that there's really no reason for you to bounce around. Um, and it also just depends on how many people from BA are there and I know are kind of going around to the other games. Uh, this year, it's just me and Teddy who are going to be at the event. And I know Teddy does a lot of uh, just chatting with, with some of the college coaches who are there catching up and um, networking in that regard. And then he also goes to the freshman event that takes place. Um, so he's not as much bearing down on current year draft players as I am. Um, and in previous years, we've had other people with BA. Uh, Justin Coleman, the last time I was at uh, Jupiter, Justin now works for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays in their pro scouting department. Um, but when we have other people, it's a little bit easier for me to kind of just camp down at a field because I know we have other eyeballs around watching. Uh, and I'm sure for teams, that's a lot easier too when you have a bunch of people out there. Um, but I find it's easier to have a schedule of like the top games in every time slot and try to hit as many of those as you can. Because then at, at the end of the day, I still feel like I saw a lot of really good players and it, it wasn't like I'm just following around one team. So that's kind of the, the best approach that I've found at this point. And then if you're at the field and you hear 
from scouts or from people who are just kind of walking around the field, really raving about something going on at another field. You have the flexibility to, you know, hop in the golf cart and drive to another field and figure something out. But it is, it is chaos, but it's a lot of fun at the same time. I've, I've come to enjoy it now that I really know what the process is like and just kind of how to navigate it a little bit better. The the first few years, it was definitely terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, I do that. And I, I even go a step further where I'll just pick out certain priority teams and, and try to see those teams as much as possible. Because it, I think if sometimes it, it's, there's, there's so many players, luckily we've, you know, we've tracked these guys for multiple years and, and throughout the summer. So I feel like for a lot of these guys, it's not, it's not going to be your first time seeing them, right? Like if, if there was a lot of players who you hadn't seen, you'd probably want to get a lot of different looks at a lot of different guys. But for me, like you know, the, the event, it's a great event, but it only goes on for what, four days. So if you spread yourself out too thin and you're trying to see as many teams as possible, so you can see as many players as possible, especially for hitters. I mean, if I only see a guy take, you know, two or three at bats in one game and I'm moving on to a bunch of other different teams. I mean that those two or three at bats, it's nice, but I don't, I'm not going to get a great feeling for a player off of a couple of bats. Whereas if I actually have the ability to, you know, sit on certain teams for, for the entire week, you're going to get, you know, anywhere from what, three or four to, you know, depending on how far they go into, cause it is a tournament, depending on how far they go, what seven or, or eight games of them. So the, the more, the more you can see a guy over, over the course of the week, I feel like the better feel you can get for, for the player. And you just say, look, there's, there's certain guys I'm just not going to be able mm-hmm. to see. And fortunately, I mean, you know, for us, we just, call a whole bunch of scouts around and just, <laughs> yes. they just tell us what, what they saw from, from those. And then, and that's why the teams bring in all so many of their, their area scouts too, because they can't, they can't just cover it all themselves with, you know, a couple of people there. They want their area. Yeah, scouts imagine if just to, the Florida scouts were there to, uh, to take this in and cover it. <laughs> yeah. <who's, laughs> those guys would be pissed. Yeah. Who's <laughs> our, yeah. Who's our South Florida area scout. <laughs> you're going to cover, you're going to cover Jupiter. Yeah, central guy too far away. Sorry, it's a couple hour drive. Can't make it happen. Yeah, yeah, we're trying to save our travel budget <laughs> at the end of the year. The uh, I think kind of what you you mentioned there that I wanted to talk about a little bit more is just the fact that it is a really good event for hitters. I think we've we've talked about previously. There there are a couple events. I think most of the the All Star Game type events and Perfect Game National. I feel like those events are really good for pitchers. Um, just for them, it's an event that's set up well for them to have success. It's tougher for the hitters and it's just good when, when you initially throughout the summer to kind of just put eyes on the pitchers, what do they throw? How does the arm work? What kind of stuff do they have? This event is really probably the best event of the year to scout the hitters and to get a much better feel for what they're able to do in the box. It's not, they're not stepping to the plate with a new pitcher, every single at bat who who they're trying to just blow up a radar gun. It's a, it's a tournament. The games matter. Every team here is trying to win. So it's a much more, more of a real game 
situation that you're seeing all of these players in, but I feel like it, it is a much better evaluation period for the bat specifically, especially like you were mentioning, Ben, those, those teams that you can get more than just a couple ABs, you can see them multiple times, several days in a row. Um, there's no issues about not having your timing right or, or only stepping into the box a couple times for the whole event. It's, it's a much better event to scout the hitters. And I find myself trying to target the teams that basically are loaded with the, the best hitting prospects and, and the top hitting prospects who maybe I feel like I haven't seen a lot. Um, so like if Tamar was on a team where he was basically the only standout prospect, which is certainly not the case, I would, I would definitely watch him, but I wouldn't feel like I needed to watch him maybe as, as much as some of the other players who, who aren't at the very top of the class, but who I need to get more looks on, if that makes sense. Um, but just in general, very good event for scouting hitters. Yeah. And I will say too, if, if there's like, if there's a game going, if there's a couple games going on where there are good hitters on, on adjacent fields, I mean, and again, I mean, if you haven't been to the, like any minor league backfields, you, you literally just walk over there. It takes 15, 20 seconds to walk from one field to another. So it's really, they're, they're, they're right next to each other. If, if, if you're at the same, um, you know, quad backfield. So if, if there's no pitchers that I'm really interested in, in those cases, I will sometimes bounce back and forth between, between games. I mean, I, I found myself doing that just this past week at the underclass event, which I mean, even, even just today, like Kevin McGonigal was batting on one field at a game I was watching and I, I, I had seen him. A great so much. name by the way. Yeah. Really good player too, man. He's our number five player on our 2023 list mm -hmm. shortstop from Pennsylvania. I mean, the four guys ahead of him are really good, but he, I don't think he's at he Jupiter, unfortunately. He, uh, I think he is going. Is uh, he? Yeah. No yeah he's, I think he's on. So the he's on that Canes. So their seventeen U national team just won the WWBA uh, underclass championship today. So, um, so I believe, yeah. So he's going with that. I don't know what they're calling. Kane's American. We'll figure it out. Or Kane, yeah, Kane's prospects. I think maybe um, a whole bunch of guys. It's a really talented team. So, um, so they're. I know those guys are. A lot of those guys are driving over there. So yeah, he was on one field. I left to go see Walker Jenkins because I I just seen so much of Kevin McGonigal this this tournament. I just wanted to see more of Walker Jenkins, who's you know number two in the class. I walk over and uh, he hits a home run which was awesome. <laughs> I was like, all right, I made the right, the right decision. So, um, but yeah, sometimes you just, like you said, you get that FOMO of you, you can't be everywhere at once. And there's going to be big things that you just are not going to see. But, but if, if, a, if there's no pr like priority arm that I need to see, which probably will be the case in, in a lot of times now, just because a lot of, a lot of pitchers are shut down at this point in the fall. Um, so if, if there's no pitcher that I, I need to see, or, or if, or if there's a team where it's like, man, there's like two or three hitters on this team I want to see mm -hmm. and three or four guys on that team, I, I might, you know, I might have one main game that I'll be watching, but, Oh, Hey, uh, 
you know, this, this hitter is coming up on the other field. I'm just going to keep an eye for, mm-hmm. for when he comes up and make sure I bounce over there and, and uh, I make sure I don't miss his at bats. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, how do you do, cause you're, you're the video King. You always have uh, the video camera out and you're watching guys. So when you're at an event like this, are you just kind of taking the camera around and, and videoing everything or are you watching and taking notes? Is it tougher to get video at an event like this compared to an event where you're just sitting at one field and kind of teams and players are cycling in the same field and you don't really have to, to move where you're going to be? Uh, physically it's more difficult. I mean, like, are you still, cause I know at those events you're, you're basically taking video the whole time. Are you still taking video the whole time? Even when you're bouncing around? Mostly, mostly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, usually I'm staying at, at like one field or at least usually one main field. And if there's a certain hitter on an adjacent field, I, I might go there. Um, but at, you know, for example, at area code games or at East coast pro, or at, at the perfect game, like at the national showcase that they have, there's no multiple games going on at once. Everything is right there. So like we, you and I were at PG national, we didn't miss a pitch for <laughs> the entire yep. thing. We didn't miss anything, anything that happened. We, there's certainly a comforting feeling to that, that you will not have <laughs> right <laughs> in Jupiter, a little more stressful. Um, but yeah, but like you said, you know, having this tournament, you get to see a lot more at bats from these guys. And yeah, I mean, there's no rolled innings or reset count or anything like that, which which has its purpose in a showcase environment. But I mean, that's it certainly was the case this week at the underclass event. Games get intense. I mean, it's it's fun to watch. I'm not like rooting for anybody to win or or lose or anything like that i don't care who wins but the the players get pretty amped up for yes it, especially in uh in the playoff rounds if it's if it's a close game they get they get animated so mm-hmm. it's it's a fun atmosphere to watch those kids who've been you know some of these kids have been playing on the same travel team for for years mm-hmm. want to go out and and win and they get competitive and they get super intense and it gets really high energy from, from, from the players and and from the whole atmosphere. So it's good to be able to, to watch players in that environment where they're, where they're trying to win and not just be at a showcase. Yeah. I think, I think that's a good point. And, it's something that you you kind of forget about a little bit because the entire summer you're really going to a bunch of events that are showcase events um players aren't playing with teams that they've been with they're they're not playing everyone is going out there and trying to play their best regardless of the format obviously like no one wants to go out and look bad um but there is just a different energy to it when everyone is playing as a team it's a tournament you're trying to win um, the whole thing, it's a grind. This one too, at Jupiter, the games almost get worse as you go further into the bracket because it is such mm-hmm. a grind for the teams. Normally you will see better pitching earlier in the event um, because you basically need to throw your best arms because you you really don't know how long you're going to last. So you throw your best arms early in bracket play um, and then try and patch things together um, as you go throughout it. So the games get very gritty um a little sloppy at times near the end um but it is really fun to watch and the teams 
it's weird too, because typically at an event, the further you get to the championship, the more, the more excited and the more energetic the environment would be. But at Jupiter, it's really from Thursday through Sunday, it's crazy every day. The, the environment is packed. There are tons of scouts everywhere. There are golf carts that are lined up three, four, five rows deep um, at fields at times. But on, on championship Monday, it is like a ghost town. Everyone gets out of there. The scouts are gone. Uh, there are only a couple teams playing, and it's frequently pitchers who have to come in from out of town because a team needs an extra arm. They literally don't have any more arms to throw. Uh, it's an underclass kid. I remember one year the Canes prospect team actually won the entire thing. I think they had a pitcher come in from like an hour and a half out of town because uh, they were not <laughs> expecting. They obviously, they obviously wanted to make it, but I don't think they were expecting to. They had two Canes teams above them that had more of the more prominent uh, upper class players. CJ Rodriguez was actually the catcher on this team who was recently drafted and was Vanderbilt's catcher for two years. I remember watching him when I, I think he was like a rising sophomore or a rising junior. Either way, he was very young and was the catcher of this team and they won. But basically the point is it becomes a ghost town when the championship happens, which is very odd. Uh, but I always love watching that, that game because it is such a grind for those players. Um, and you do get to see that joy and that excitement and, and honestly, the energy and the, the trash talking between teams, I really get excited about that stuff too. Just the environment of it is very fun. Yeah, at the, it was the final four today at the underclass. And yeah, the Canes were playing the East Cobb Astros. I was psyched because, you know, they have Dylan Cup, who's our number one shortstop in the country for 2023. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, by the end of the game, they, they just they, like, Dylan Cup got on the mound and pitched. He's mm-hmm. just a pitcher, so he, he was just uh, doing yeah. his best out there. So then I go uh, over. Uh, I was just like standing by the their dugout, um, filming while he was on deck. He was like, "You like that, huh?" I was like, <laughs> uh, I, "I was like, you have to update your position." I was like, "I, I don't know. That's seventy nine mile an hour fastball, but I think uh, being a." potential plus defensive shortstop who could uh who can really really hit <laughs> everywhere is going to be uh good enough for for dylan cup so i don't i don't see any two-way in his future but yeah it's i mean a lot of the teams just by the end of the tournament are you know like you said you hope to make it to the championship but you just th- there aren't that many arms especially in mm-hmm. in the fall because because a lot of guys are shut down so i mean like i know like brandon barrera Noah Schultz, two big lefties will will be there, but a lot of the top pitchers in the class mm-hmm. are are just shut down and and won't be there. Yeah, that is another reason why it's just such a good event for the bats because it maybe would be a better event for the arms if people pitch that long. But at some point, you have to shut it down. Riley Stanford is another big arm who's there, and for a lot of these guys, I'm curious to see if they're just going to be there as hitters because. I mean, Stanford, he plays outfit. He can play first base. He, he likes to swing the bat. So for a number of these players, I imagine they're just going to be there as position players. Um, but we'll see. Um, there are always a couple arms that you wouldn't be surprised if they just shut things down, but wind up pitching for one reason or another. And that's always a, a fun little surprise as well. Yeah. So we'll see. Or, you have, or you have Mason Wynn, who just goes out and does both. Like, I think... 
I don't want to make this up, but I, I think Ethan Hankins here, I think he might have pitched at this event, or there was a pretty prominent arm who threw. I'm not positive now, but there there have been a couple big arms that have gone. I mean, you just said Mason Wynn throwing. Yeah, no, no, definitely, definitely. I mean, and and again, like I said, Barrera and, and Schultz are mm-hmm. going to be there. So th- there definitely are some big arms. And then there are guys who, again, you want to they, – they, like, they might not be top – you know, 20 overall type mm-hmm. players in the class like those guys, but who like you, you want to stay on these guys because mm-hmm. maybe the velocity pops or, or there's something you see different. And, and, and sometimes, I mean, I saw this week, I saw chance Mako who's a super long gangly, I think six, five right handed pitcher from North Carolina, 2023, and he pitched i think he pitched six innings he was absolutely dominant uh i don't think he allowed a or i think he maybe allowed a hit but uh i don't think he walked anybody struck out like either 14 or 16 up to 93 just everything is oozing projection with him but it's it's good to see a guy throw you know four five six innings and not just like you said, go out in a showcase and pitch one inning and air it out and not have to work through a lineup multiple times and not see how his stuff is, you know, after, you know, more than 30 or 40 pitches, which th- these guys don't typically ever have to do when, when they're in a showcase setting. Yeah. You definitely get a much better feel for just their, their durability, stamina, just pitch making in a longer game, uh, how they adjust when they start losing their top end velo. Um, are they capable of making the adjustment? Can they pitch off of other stuff? Uh, you get a much more complete idea of how, how they can throw. One of the other things that I, I've really enjoyed about this event in in previous years, and maybe it won't be as apparent this year, just because you've done so much work on the underclass players, but it typically is one of the better events for getting an eye on some of the more prominent underclass players in, in the uh, upcoming classes. I know Hunter Barco was an underclass arm and he really blew up at this event. And a lot of people ran in and saw him really good. Um, because again, when, when the top arms in the, the present year draft class aren't there, it's an opportunity for some younger guys to kind of show up and really impress. Uh, I think, Lesko, when he was pitching as an underclassman, I got to see him in Jupiter and was just really wowed by what he was able to do. Uh, this was the first time I had seen guys like Kevin Parada and Ed Howard as underclassmen and they stood out. So I will have a better feel for, for what these players are supposed to be because of all the work you've been doing on it, Ben. But it is always a really, a really cool opportunity to see some of these younger players mixed in with these teams and playing with some of the best 2022s in the class getting those 2023 and even 2024 in some cases looks um, is helpful um, and and just always really fun as well. Yeah. So who are some of the priority guys or priority teams for you? Yeah, I think there are, there are a few teams that really stood out to me when I was kind of going through rosters and picking out Uh, the first one, I guess I'll point to is FTV um, slash the Philadelphia Philly scout team, 2022. Decent Um, outfield. Pretty good. Pretty. I'm, I'm really curious to see. So this team has Elijah Green, Andrew Jones, who are two of our top three 
bats in the 2022 class. Obviously, we've talked about them a lot on this podcast, but curious to see if they're going to move around and, and change off duties in center field or if one or the other is just going to take that role um, and run with it. In addition to those two who are pretty impactful on both sides, you have John Pierre Ortiz, um, who's a shortstop and I'm assuming is going to also pitch. He's, he's pitched in pretty much every event that I've seen him in, although I like him a lot more as a position player and as a shortstop. He's on this team. Carson Sabathia, the son of CeCe Sabathia, is on this team, first baseman and the third baseman. Um, then you have even more lightning in the bat of Tucker Toman, who can play all around the infield or will probably play all around the infield um, as a switch hitter with some thump, uh, who has been very hot and cold throughout the summer. When he's good, he is extremely good uh, at area codes. He barreled pretty much everything he saw at East Coast Pro. It was a little bit different. He was he was much more um, swing and miss prone at that event. So I'm curious to see what sort of hitter he looks like throughout the week. Um, and then on top of that, you have Luke Heyman, who's an interesting catcher, physical guy. Um, and then Gerangelo Sajinci. I'm going to butcher his name every time. I'm really sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. But I think we've talked about him in the past as well. He is a right-handed and left-handed pitcher. And I feel like a guy like that might be one of the most valuable players you could have in an event like this. Imagine the amount of bullets you have. <laughs> if, you, if you get to your pitch smart uh, limitations with your right hand, you just flip the glove over and start throwing left-handed. You only drop off about five or six miles per hour and you're good to go. So well, yeah, what, is, are the, what are the rules on using a, like what are the pitch count rules on using a switch pitcher, pitcher in the, I, I don't know. I would back or I don't know why you wouldn't count for each arm, right? That seems to be the whole point. If you couldn't have, he should basically be treated as two different pitchers with his pitch count. And to make things simple, I would just have him throw as a righty one game or one outing or until you ran into that that limit, and then just start throwing as a left-hander. That's how I would do it. Just be, you have so many oh, innings. Space you have to cover. Yeah, because you can't have him going like. Well, just you, you would keeping have track of pitches with his right hand and his left hand, if he was switching back and forth, would be a nightmare for, for the coaches. And it would probably be a nightmare for the guys who are like calling the, keeping up the score in charge of tracking that for a perfect game. Uh. So if it was me, I would just basically think of him as a righty and a lefty in one roster spot and just see what he could give you that way. Because you, you're going to lose the platoon advantage that he can typically give you within an inning. But you got two pitchers in one there. So that's the pretty ultimate cool. fall ball, travel ball weapon. Exactly. <laughs> so those are the, maybe the standouts um, on that club to me, that was one of the top ones. Uh, another one is the MLB breakthrough series roster. Um, that's headlined by Cam Collier and Termar Johnson. Um, I mean, with those two guys, you have two of the, best pure hitters in the class and on top of that you've got rj austin uh who was a shortstop and outfielder you have Jaden new a right-handed pitcher um cassius thomas is an interesting right-hander and outfielder Caden martin has shown power um as a corner guy left-handed bat and then I'm, I'm a little bit adonis guzman is listed on this roster but he's listed on multiple rosters so I need to get some clarity on which roster he's actually going to be on. Uh, he's also listed on an East Cobb Padres scout team. 
So I just need to figure out which one he's on, but maybe the best defensive catcher in the class, certainly the best throwing arm of any catcher in this class with Adonis Guzman. He's really a lot of fun to watch just sling the ball from behind the plate and, and loves to throw behind runners um, and when runners are stealing as well. But curious to get a little bit better feel for his bat because the defense is very loud and jumps out right away with him. Um, but if he can hit or if he has pop that you can project to the next level, that will really help carry his profile a little bit more. Because I know obviously teams to varying levels are skeptical of, of defense, only high school catchers. It's a pretty risky demographic um, in general, but that's another squad that stands out to me. Um, and then kind of just scrolling through my list, I had one other one that I wanted to mention on the podcast that I was excited to see. The, oh, the Red Scout team, I think, is one of the ones that I'm excited to see. And, and also the Team Elite, Team Elite slash Atlanta Braves Scout team, their roster is not updated yet, but they typically have one of the better rosters at the event. So I need to double check after the pod is over to see what they're working with. But with the Red Scout team, there are a couple guys that, that I'm curious to see more of because I don't feel like I have great feel for them currently. Uh, but Tommy Specht is one of those players. Uh, he's an outfielder and a left-handed hitter who he's got a really projectable body. It looks like he's got some power in the bat. I don't have great feel right now for just the pure hitting ability because uh, at the, he was at the Baseball Factory All-America game uh, and I think he walked and got hit by a pitch. So I didn't get to see him take too many swings in game. So I'm curious to see what he looks like. And, and I could probably keep going down the list, but those are the ones that jumped out to me right away. Um, and Florida Burn is a, is a program that I just want to mention because the last two times that I was at this event in person, they won back-to-back -back, uh, Jupiters, which is impressive. And they're never they're never a team that really jumps out jumps off the page in terms of like the talent you see on their roster, but they always play at a very high level. And they're one of these groups of travel ball teams that seems to do a really good job of getting a group of players that stick together consistently and just have really good chemistry with each other and, and kind of knows how to maneuver and navigate events like this. So that's always a team that I enjoy watching. Um, but there are going to be so many players probably that, that we have, I haven't even talked about who are going to impress or, or players who are going to pop up that I wasn't aware of prior to this event that are interesting. Um, but those are some of the highlights, I would say. Yeah, I think uh, that left side of that MLB breakthrough series infield with Tamar Johnson at shortstop and Cam Collier at third base yes. is going to be a it's going to be a fun one to watch. I mean, imagine just trying to – I'm assuming they're going to be hitting at the top of the lineup somewhere, one, two, or somewhere in the one through three spots. But I hope so. <laughs> yeah, imagine, <laughs> imagine trying to navigate the beginning of that. Like, you you show up to Jupiter, first team you play is them, or you're facing Termar one, Cam Collier two in the lineup. I do not envy that pitcher at all. Um, ben, any other thoughts on Jupiter? Or do you want to take a quick break and then get back and talk about some MLB playoffs? Yeah, it'll be uh I think I think it'll be a great great tournament this mm -hmm. year. Oh yeah, it's it and I and I think it's a good one too, where where a lot of players now like there's some earlier fall tournaments where you don't necessarily know 
who's been playing fall ball and who hasn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, the kids from California probably have and the kids from the warmer weather states maybe, but a lot of kids from the Northeast are not necessarily doing anything or, or mm-hmm. certain other parts of the country where they don't have fall ball. So they're, they're, they don't necessarily have their rhythm and timing back, but pretty much every, most of these kids that were coming to Jupiter are, you know, ha- have been playing at least in the last, you know, week or a couple of weeks and they're going to be ready to go. So um, it's always, it's always a really good event. Yeah, absolutely. Excited to get down there and basically live at the baseball field. Um, but we'll take a quick break here and then we'll be back to talk about some MLB playoff stuff. Uh, thank you guys for sticking with us and we'll see you in a second. All right. And we are back to very briefly talk some MLB playoffs. Um, I would definitely recommend listening to the Baseball America podcast. I know JJ Cooper and Kyle Glazer are previewing and giving their predictions for the entire playoffs it's probably going to be a much more MLB playoff centric podcast but really quickly then I just wanted to throw it out to you because I have some strong takes about this and I was talking about it on Twitter with a lot of people today I think it was a pretty hot conversation topic just across the baseball Twitter universe Um, but it seems like people have very mixed or not mixed feelings some people feel very passionately that the playoff structure as is, is a very good one. And there are other people who do not like that we have a system where the two best teams in baseball can be in one division. And one of those teams, the Dodgers this year, uh, wind up in a wild card game where basically your entire season comes down to one game. Um, Really quickly to throw out what I think here, I love the current MLB playoff setup. I think it's fantastic for entertainment. I think it's fantastic for incentivizing winning your division, which I think we should put much more importance on generally, and people should appreciate division titles much more than I I think the kind of average fan sentiment is. Like winning a division is very hard. I think baseball is very much a regular season game. And so being dominant or winning a division, regardless of the the relative strength of that division across the league in any given year, I think is really impressive. Um, And teams who are able to do that back-to-back years or for for a long stretch like the Dodgers did for a while there, or even just winning your division and getting to the playoffs should be celebrated um, just because of how the MLB playoffs work and how fluky it can really be i think people should celebrate regular season success because that is tougher to consistently uh, be good at so i like the fact that the current system we have makes teams really prioritize winning the division and i like how this current system because of the wild card setup we have a lot of really fun races near the end of the regular season that matter And I like how we don't have a system where there are 16 teams that are making the playoffs. And the only thing you really care about at the end is which 500 or which below 500 teams are going to kind of sneak in. So I like it. I think the wildcard games themselves are always some of the most much must watch baseball of the entire year. And I really don't mind too much that a playoff team is going to be gone after one game, because again, you always just say, well, you had a chance to win your division and you didn't. 
So I, I kind of am, am all in on the current playoff structure. What do you think? That was a lot that I threw at you. Um, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think those the one game wild card games are are some of the best playoff games around. It's it's there's just so much on the line to 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 win or 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 your season is is over um it's basically like creating this artificial game seven but it doesn't feel artificial it's it's not like a gimmicky it doesn't feel gimmicky at least to me feels like there's just a lot on the line in this game so i I love the atmosphere that creates and and i like that it it, it, yeah, like you said, it, it incentivizes division, winning your division and divisional rivalries. I mean, I love the Giants and Dodgers. I mean, those two teams could have just all right rested their, you know, their best players and tried to set themselves up for, um, you know, set up their playoff rotations and and all that. But no, like you, it doesn't matter. You win 107 games. You win 106. You have to go until until the end. So it's not just all right, let's, like you said, let's pay attention to these 83 or 84 win teams with, you know, I would not be in favor of expanding. Yeah. Last year's playoff playoff with the expanded playoffs and short season. I hated it. I thought it was terrible. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. Whereas now we're watching, you know, these two dynamite teams in in the giants and and Dodgers go after each other at, at the end of the season. I, I think that's, that's, it's, you know, it's, it's unusual to see that we're not going to have that every year, but it's a lot more fun than watching two teams that like are otherwise a little bit better than <laughs> average competing to try to sneak their way into the playoffs. Yeah. I think the the fact that it is the Dodgers who wound up in the wild card this year is, is really why a lot of the animosity is surrounding this conversation because in a typical year, it probably is not going to be the team that has a case as the best team in baseball. And I think the Dodgers very much so have, have a case as being the best team in baseball. And I think in any other year, like you said, it's typically the, the more fringier teams, the teams who are not at the very top of the MLB league uh, in terms of record. So I think that is probably a little bit why this conversation has gotten so heated, but I also think they're, some people probably want a playoff system that is designed to give the best teams in the regular season, the easiest path in the playoffs. And I just don't know that MLB's playoffs are ever going to be a system that like, like the NBA, like I feel like in the NBA playoffs, it's very much set up. So the best team is going to win. The MLB playoffs are random enough and all of the series are short enough that that's really not the case. And I feel like sometimes people lose sight of the fact that at the end of the day, baseball and and MLB, it's, it's about entertainment. And I feel like we can get a little bit too overboard in trying to line up everything perfectly and make sure teams with underlying stats have better seating than other teams. I feel like sometimes we try to get a little too cute with everything. Whereas I just want to try and get the 10 best teams and just have them play. And, and I think we currently have the best mix of quality teams in the field because we only have 10 total teams. It's a third of the league. We have the wild card system. We have the divisions. I, I agree with you. I like the divisional rivalries. I think 
you probably could do a little bit more to maybe balance the regular season. I would be fine if people wanted fewer division games um, throughout the schedule and you wanted more, more of an, a league wide balancing to th that's fine. If you have that argument, I, I think I'd be fine with it. But as far as the current system is set up, I really think it's the perfect blend of, of fun and, and good incentives. And I don't think that, like you said, because one year we have a Dodgers and Giants two-way team situation where we're looking at maybe the best two teams in baseball in the same division, that's a reason to blow everything up. Yeah, I just think it enhances one of the best rivalries in baseball with, between the Dodgers and the Giants. I, I just think it makes it, it makes the rivalry even better. It, it makes that division race even better it makes the regular season w winning that division just counts even more it, it's it's more than just oh bragging rights it's no there's a lot on the line here to actually win your division because it, it just it matters more in this system than if if you're just seeding teams purely based on on their records yeah and i just I know we're probably heading towards expanded playoffs because people who people who write about this stuff that that seem to be in these conversations with ownership and the union, it definitely seems like that's the direction we're heading. And I really hope that's not the case um, because just expanding the field, I feel like just makes it kind of watered down to me. These regular season races at the end will be less exciting and the playoff field itself will be less fun, but do you have any thoughts on expanded playoffs at all? Do you think like me, it's probably inevitable or are you holding out some hope that we'll keep this current system? I think the owners probably want it just for the playoff revenue that it will of course. bring them, but I, I don't like what it would do for the actual product mm -hmm. on the field. And I hope they consider that, <laughs> but um, they will consider it very quickly and then look at the dollar signs, I think at least the short-term ones. Um, I don't, I don't know that you want to water down the product with, I mean, playoff baseball is, is amazing, but I, I don't want it to, I don't, I don't want it to be like you said, where we're bringing in an 83 win team into the, into the playoffs and, and losing and losing the value of again, winning your winning, winning these division races and and being you know you know all, all, all the things that we've talked about as far as the, the incentives in the current system that would go go by the wayside if if we expand the playoffs yeah well i'm right there with you good to know that we still agree on some things on this podcast ben Finally. Uh, if you guys if you guys listening have any thoughts on the current playoff system i'd love to hear them i've been talking with a lot of people on Twitter about the system. There's a lot of different opinions thrown out there. I guess, what's your ideal system? Do you think the current one is ideal? Do you have any better ideas? Are we wrong? Is an expanded playoff field better for baseball? Um, definitely share all those thoughts with us if you want to. Um, certainly with me on Twitter at Carlos A. Colazzo. I don't know if Ben, you were too involved with this conversation today, but Ben is on Twitter at Ben Badler. Um, and if you want to throw any questions to us, you can use those accounts or at Future ProPod on Twitter or at ben.badler on Instagram. Um, ben, I think that's going to probably wrap it up for us today. I know you are traveling. You've got to be up and at them tomorrow. Um, 
is there anything you want to plug anything you want listeners to be aware of uh, before we get out of here? I'm just heading off to see Tamar Johnson and, and Drew Jones and, and some of the better Michael Gupton. Hopefully he, I don't know, I don't know if they're going to run the 60 or not, but <laughs> it'll be fun to, to watch him run the minority baseball prospects uh, all-star game. So just heading off to that. And then Gupton is actually uh, on the same team that Dylan cup is on for Jupiter. So that'll be a good one as well. Yeah. So going out to see these guys uh, over the next, next couple of days should be, should be fun. Yeah. And then I guess uh, for me, I would just say, check out the site. There's a lot of stuff we had today. I know Josh is all over the instructs rosters. Those are coming out. I think the AFL stuff is going to start coming out soon. So if you guys are into just finding out which prospects are doing what after the season is wrapped up, we'll have all that information for you on the website. Um, the playoff podcasts are going to be coming on the baseball America podcast feed. So if you're into that, I know Kyle and JJ are going to be talking a lot about playoff baseball. And then me and Ben will be back next week to talk about everything that we've just finished watching in Florida. So a lot going on, even though the regular season is still over. October is always a great month for, for sports in general, but obviously for baseball, excited to see what's going to happen in the playoffs um, moving forward. But um, thank you guys for listening. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for rating and reviewing on iTunes if you have done so. If you haven't done so and you want to, uh, iTunes is the place to do that. Um, but you can listen at, at any podcast catcher or app like Spotify, Google Podcasts, all that good stuff. Um, but for Ben, I'm Carlos. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.